Uh, this week I was listening to a podcast on uh, preaching Easter, and they said, whatever you do, preach a short sermon. And uh, they told a story about how uh, a pastor in Jackson, Mississippi, uh, this is a pretty highfalutin church, pretty fancy place, and the pastor got up to the microphone and said, it's all true, and then walked off. That was it. So I'm not going to do that today. Uh, it won't be too long. Uh, let's read our text and we'll get started. Luke 24, but on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their heads to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose, ran to the tomb, stooping and looked in. He saw the linen clothes by themselves, and he went marveling at what had happened. The word of the Lord. If you've been with us the last several months, you know uh, we've been looking here at the gospel of Luke. And in pretty much every passage that we've looked at, Jesus occupies the lion's share of the screen. I mean, if you videotaped each passage, you would find Jesus in virtually every single frame. And then you come to our text today, and he's nowhere in those 12 verses. No resurrected Jesus can be seen in these 12 verses. Why not? Well, to answer that question, I want to uh, look at the two different groups of people. First, you've got uh, the women, and then you've got the disciples. And the women here combine to form quite the squad, don't they? You have Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women. And they're doing what they've always been doing. They've been showing their devotion to Jesus. And now they're just doing the culturally expected thing by caring for his dead body. But this isn't the first time we see their devotion. You see it in Luke 8 where these women are part of the ministry team around Jesus, bringing the kingdom to bear. You also likely see them at the crucifixion, mourning Jesus' death. So it makes sense why they would get up really early on Sunday to care for Jesus' corpse. They were faithful followers of Jesus. Yet for all their faithfulness, they were living in unbelief. And they showed up to bury Jesus. Whereas Jesus had told them that he would die and then he would raise again. They should have come this morning to worship the resurrected Jesus on this first Easter. But instead they get a mild rebuke. Did you see it? That mild rebuke comes from the angels in the form of a question when they say, Why do you seek the living among the dead? See, this was just the angels' way of trying to show these women that they've been operating with a false assumption that Jesus was dead. 
That's the first group. Look at the second group, the disciples. The disciples are found by the women. And when the women find them, they're part petrified, they're part ashamed, and they're part discouraged. They're petrified because the Jewish leaders and the Romans might combine forces to kill them just like they did Jesus. They're ashamed because Jesus has let them, they have let Jesus down, especially Peter. And then they're discouraged because they had hoped that Jesus would take down Rome and then he didn't. And in the midst of them being petrified, in the midst of them being ashamed, in the midst of them being discouraged, you would think that their mood would shift with this great news that Jesus has risen from the dead. But no. Instead, the disciples think the women had been smoking something funny. And according to verse 11, they think they're just hearing an idle tale. So here you have it. Both groups totally missed the bodily resurrection of Jesus. And the fact that these two groups had heard almost everything Jesus taught and seen almost every miracle Jesus had performed, including raising others from the dead, you would think that they would have a belief in the resurrection of Jesus. And to make matters worse, Jesus has predicted that he would not just die, but that he would raise again. Let me read to you Luke 9.22. Jesus says, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. He says it again in Luke 18, 32 and 33. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles and be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. You put all that together. And it's embarrassing how dense both these groups are, the women and the disciples. It's comical even. It's almost like Luke has framed this whole scene like a stand-up comedian. And stand-up comedians, they're masters. They're masters at calling us out for our collective wrongs with wit and humor that somehow cut through our defenses. A preacher has a different tactic. A preacher comes and calls you to confess your sin and it usually falls on deaf ears but with comedians you'll freely admit your guilt and then you'll have a good laugh at yourself and Luke is playing the part of a comic he's saying these are the most committed people to Jesus that I can find and they weren't expecting the resurrection nor did they believe it actually happened so what makes you the reader any different You might be sitting there and say, well, Marsha, I believe in the resurrection. And that's why I came today. I came to celebrate that Jesus rose from the dead 2,000 years ago. You might be saying, I know it sounds ridiculous to most 21st century sophisticated Westerners, but not me. I'm in on this Jesus resurrection thing. I don't feel convicted. I don't feel like Luke has caught me red-handed. Well, fair enough. I'm glad that you don't have intellectual hang-ups with the bodily resurrection. However, you need to see that the resurrection didn't just happen. But you need to see that it happens. See, too often we make the resurrection only a matter of apologetics, and we melt it down to something that's only historical, even though it is historical. But the New Testament doesn't do that. The New Testament makes the resurrection a matter of living in the here and now. 
The New Testament says that it's not just a past reality, but that it's a present reality. And then when you miss it being a present reality, then you miss it just like the women and just like the disciples. What do I mean? I came across a great quote this week, Frederick Buechner. He says, resurrection means the worst thing is never the last thing. Translate that, it means that the most painful thing in your life, if you're a Christian, is never the thing that most defines you. Nor is your worst thing that's happened in your life the thing that has the most power. Let me give you a couple examples. If you have a mental illness, it's easy to think that it'll never go away or that it'll never get any better, but that's just not true. Because there's coming a day in either this life or the next when you will be free. And until that day, you have the opportunity to see resurrection happen by serving others who are struggling just like you. See, resurrection didn't just happen, it happens. Or maybe you've lost a loved one. Maybe a parent, maybe a child, maybe a spouse. And it's easy to think that life will never be as good as it was when they were still living. But it's just not true. Because there's coming a day when you're, if you're a Christian and your loved one's a Christian, that you'll both be raised with incorruptible physical bodies. Moreover, resurrection will happen in a different way. Maybe it's possible that God provides intimacy and relationship in ways that you would never have expected after your loss. See, resurrection happens. But let me be clear. For all the beating up I'm doing on the persons in our text, I'm empathetic. They're hurting. And you are too. What I'm just doing is I'm waving the flag and I'm trying to alert all of us that we can make this harmful move from grief to cynicism in an instance. And when we do that, we're just like the disciples who roll their eyes at the possibility of hope. And let me tell you, resurrection really does happen in the present. Easter is breaking in all around us from time to time. You might even get a whiff of gospel hope. I got a whiff this week. I got a whiff when I heard a story. It was a story from a pastor in Baltimore. And in the story, he talks about sitting at the dinner table. When he sat at the dinner table with his family over dinner, he gets a text. And he gets a text from a number that he doesn't have saved on his phone. And in the text, the person identifies themselves and they ask the pastor if they can meet up for coffee. The pastor barely remembers this person, but because we pastors are suckers, we agree to meet up. So this pastor in Baltimore and this person that he can barely recall, they meet up for a cup of coffee. And when they get together, the person who texted the pastor fills in some more details. And the pastor's getting the, the, the picture of who this person is is coming into focus. See, the young man who had texted the pastor used to go to the school that was attached to the church where the pastor served. And when this young man was a boy, he was severely bullied in that church's school. And he was bullied because he spoke with an accent. He had recently come to America from Ukraine as an adoptee. And when the pastor caught wind of the bullying that was happen happening, he called the young boy into his office and in kindness, he just talked to him. And the young man reached out to the pastor to just tell him. 
that it was in that kindness that he met Jesus. And now he's a grown adult and he was compelled to thank the pastor for his care. See? Resurrection happens. So how might you? How might you restart a life where your cynicism is replaced with resurrection? Let me give you three encouragements in one application. Here's the first encouragement. The first encouragement that you've got to realize that your cynicism doesn't disqualify you from grace. Think about our passage. When the people in our text need hope the most, they deserve it the least. (laughs) They're operating in unbelief, but resurrection happened to them anyways. In fact, God knew that these women in particular, that they would be in the wrong place on the first Easter. That they would be looking for the living among the dead. So what does God do with these women who are struggling with unbelief, who should have come to worship the resurrected Jesus, but they come to bury him? What does God do for them? God sends them messengers to tell them the good news of the gospel. See, God often does this. Even when we're in the wrong place, he's there ahead of us, assuring us of his goodness. And maybe you've been in the wrong place for a long time. And you think there's no way God would bring life and forgiveness and hope to you. That you've just been too selfish, too sinful, too dead. Yet here you are this morning. And you're hearing how God brings good news to people who should know better. Second encouragement. That the words of testimony are sufficient for you. Just like they were for the women. See, the women didn't come to believe once they had seen the risen Lord with their eyeballs. The women came to believe after the angels called them to remember the words that Jesus had prophesied. The ones we read from Luke 9 and 18. And when they had believed those words of testimony, without seeing the physical body of the resurrected Jesus, that was enough for them. The same is true for us. We don't need the risen Christ to be physically present for us to be convinced. We simply need the faith to believe the same words that the women believed. Third encouragement. Think about what happened from here forward with the disciples. In our text, the disciples ridicule the women. They ridicule the women for the possibility of the resurrection. And in just a few chapters later, actually just two chapters later, since Luke wrote both the gospel and the book of Acts, somewhere between Luke 24 and Acts chapter 2, these disciples who ridicule the women are radically changed. They're changed to the extent that they now believe the resurrection and they'll proclaim it to anyone who will listen to them. And eventually this proclamation of the resurrected Jesus is what has them killed. What a radical transformation. And that means that you too can undergo that kind of transformation where you move from being skeptical of the goodness of God, skeptical that goodness can spring up from death, and then become someone who knows that hope is always in play because Jesus rose again from the dead. Those are my three encouragements. Let me conclude with one application by looking at these women. See, once these women come to a place of belief, they're compelled to be showers and tellers of the resurrection of Jesus. 
They do it to the disciples first. And when they get there and they tell the disciples about the resurrected Jesus, now the women have to exercise great patience. They've got to wait on these disciples to get it. And our lives should model much the same. We too, if you're a Christian, you have encountered the risen Lord. And we too can be showers and tellers of the resurrection. But we too should not be surprised when people give us strange looks. Because the disciples gave these women very strange looks. It's hard work. It's easy to give up in discouragement on our unbelieving friends and family members. It's easy to only spend time with other believers because it's so hard to face these strange looks. But can you imagine being Joanna or Mary Magdalene or Mary the mother of James and you're at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 and you see Peter preach at Pentecost with great boldness. You know she must have thought, I remember when he thought this was just an idle tale. And now look at him. He's witnessing to the truth of the resurrection. I think for Joanna, she wasn't so much proud of Peter. I think she was astonished by the grace of Jesus. And that's what happens to us too. As we become showers and tellers of the resurrection of Jesus, we will see people radically changed and that will lead us to worship. So may we, may we as Hope Presbyterian Church believe that the worst thing is never the last thing. May we as Hope Presbyterian Church see the resurrection didn't just happen, but that it continues to happen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your resurrection. And Lord, we also thank you that we see your great grace to us, not just by raising, but by how you meet us in our unbelief. You shower your grace on us. Oh Lord, may we see you as the gracious God that you actually are today. In Christ's name, amen.